TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, before we get started, I was just wondering, can I borrow your communicator for a minute? Uh, Chris, I would let you borrow uh, my communicator, but, um, well, I don't know if you're going to believe this, but... Uh, it had an accident with the cloaking device and has become invisible, and I legitimately cannot remember where I placed it. So I'm just hoping that it uh, wears off and I will be able to find it again, because as of now, it's gone. Well, don't worry. I'm sure we'll find it. I'm a regular bloodhound. Oh, well, good. I'm I'm very excited to hear that. Um, and uh, hopefully, uh, I, I don't know how well that will help, though, because, well, the communicator doesn't really have its own smell. So <laughs> that's what you think. But, you know, I'm I have a special skill. To OK, detect OK. Those things. Well, good so to don't know. worry about good it. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, everyone, today we are going to continue our 20th anniversary rewatch of Enterprise with the second season episode, The Communicator. And here is a quick rundown. After a, let's admit, questionable mission to mingle with the pre-warp culture while wearing peel-off prosthetics, the crew of the Enterprise in XO1 returns from an alien planet where they had a great time. But... Oops, Malcolm's communicator slipped out of his pocket in a tavern, an event that leads to the almost death of himself and Captain Archer. The only thing that saves them is the invisible hand of Trip Tucker and a stolen Sulaban ship. And in the end, what seems like a win to Archer turns out to be a lesson in the prime directive, as one side in this planetary conflict may soon want a piece of the other side's action. So, Matthew, as I closed there with those words, an interesting thing about Enterprise in this episode is that this is, in a sense, at least spiritually, a sequel to a piece of the action where Dr. McCoy left his communicator behind in Oxmix's office on Mm -hmm. Sigma Iosha 2. You know, it's so interesting that you said that because I did not even think about that. But I was thinking about the fact that this, to me, is a spiritual sequel to Civilization. Yeah. And that whole idea of, you know, you know, we've been talking in the series of Enterprise specifically about, you know, interfering and what that should look like, the frustration of possibly leaving a piece of technology that, you know, could cause um, irreparable damage to a society. And so that's where my mind immediately went. But I think you're absolutely right. Obviously, you know, a piece of the action is a very humorous idea of what can happen if you leave the wrong thing behind on a planet, especially a pre-warp civilization. Um, and 
this episode is very much akin to that. And and I think it's a very serious look at how dangerous that can be. And so, yeah, you really do see it as being a successor to really everything yeah. that Enterprise has been building towards in the first season and now into the second season. I think this is episode eight of the season. So you're really seeing the development of the thought process of Archer as a character uh, and the incredible damage that could happen, even because of mistake. Yeah. And what seems like a simple mistake, right? But yeah, I mean, what you say, I think, is part of the point of this story. And I think it was in the mind of the writers when they came up with this is that a piece of the action is a humorous story. And McCoy leaving, uh, losing his communicator, leaving it behind in Oxmix's office is kind of a throwaway at the end, like, oops. And the real question is, what would be the repercussions of something like that actually happening? And that's not explored in that original series story. So here was an opportunity on Enterprise for them to revisit that, but to tell the story of what would happen on that world after an item, which to our crew is just a simple communicator, is left behind and how it would impact a society. So let's talk about the prime directive part, because it really is a story about the development of the prime directive. And I think that maybe except for Dear Doctor, maybe you remember another one, but besides Dear Doctor, this is probably the most truly serious incident that has come up so far where something that the crew has done has actually impacted another society in a way that uh, could really change the course of the of the future for that world mm-hmm. and for so many people on that world as opposed to just a few individuals with whom they had contact mm-hmm. yeah no i i think beyond civilization this is really uh the place where that truly builds into a conversation uh, mm-hmm. that we would have and and it's it's one that obviously has been building in the sense that you know we have, we've talked about the prime directive from other uh, avenues and from other points of view, like with Shadows of Pajem and things like that, with the interference and in, in other cultures uh, that already have warp civilizations, but how uh, influential should be we be in those type of situations? And here, this one is all about Archer coming to grips with. It's not just about accidentally leaving a piece of technology, but it's the way in which uh, the perception of the universe can be changed from the knowledge of something beyond yourself before you're necessarily ready for that to happen. And the conversation, you know, that Archer has with Malcolm is so key in this episode where they talk through this idea, okay, what happens if we tell them? And as they talk it through, Archer... And Malcolm realized, obviously, that the Vulcans waited for the right time at the time when we Mm -hmm. had given ourselves the ability to travel to other worlds and we were already going to find out about other worlds. And so the Vulcans step in and make that probably 
the most, uh, it's a weird way to put it, but like vanilla first contact you can have, right? I mean, it, it's it's the most non-confrontational, best type of first contact you can have where you have a group of aliens who are dedicated, at least uh, for the most part, to to a more pacifistic kind of, of thought process, even though we learn that's not all of Vulcans uh, through Enterprise. But these people that we meet here in this episode are specifically not ready for that. I mean, they're on the brink of war. There are massive tensions between the different factions here on this planet. And they are at a place to which things like phase-type pistols and those are just completely theoretical. Uh, and, and we don't even have mention as to where they are with the idea of something like warp travel, if it's even theoretical for them. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, I, I think this episode does a great job of really painting the picture and the corner that Archer is in as to whether or not do I die for this or not. Yeah. Yeah, as far as where this world is technologically, I think that it's not specified, but I kind of feel like they're probably where we were World War Two, maybe Vietnam War, something like middle of the 20th century technologically. So the idea of warp travel or mm-hmm. particle weapons, these are all technologies to them that seem... that. They might have theories about it, but they don't have the ability to create these yet. And so if they witness them and they think that the other side has found a way to create these technologies, it would create it would create an arms race. It would create uh, a shift in power and it might cause one side to use the weapons that they do have in an overwhelming show of force because they feel like it's Mm -hmm. the only way that they might survive. And so it drastically shifts power. If you think about today, you know, I mean, we do have particle weapons today. They're not widely deployed, but that's a technology that we are developing and and testing and it's out there. But imagine if, uh, if aliens came and let's just say that the United States thought that Russia or China had access to the kinds of technologies that we see in Star Trek, there would be some kind of response, right? Or vice versa. And so the actions of the crew here have the potential to cost the lives of millions or even billions of people. Mm -hmm. And going back to what you were saying about the conversation between Archer and Malcolm, Archer's realization of what the Vulcans did, how they waited until humans were ready, is another part of the character growth in Archer that we talk about often on this show. Again, thinking about how he viewed the Vulcans at the beginning, how his view of them has grown over time. And this wasn't a sudden change in mindset for him here, but this is an incident that happened that really triggered that in him in a way where he states it clearly in a way that he hasn't necessarily done before. And then the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, we've talked about this in a number of episodes recently. Malcolm's pessimism starts to shine through here again, I feel. 
in the situation that they're in and how he's considering approaching it. What do you think about that? I think that's a good thought um, because it, it did stand out to me as well. You know, Malcolm says that he's not afraid, but at the same time, he's also waiting for the cavalry to show up any moment. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you see this very interesting conundrum for Malcolm as a person where he longs to be like the sailor of old in the the Royal Navy who's mm-hmm. who's ready to face his duty and you know to do it with a stiff upper lip a uh, very classic British English gentleman type of of person and yet he's I think he's realizing how much more difficult that is when it's a reality for you and I think one of the things that I really appreciate about that is how honest it is that you know these situations are are not easy situations to be in and it is not easy to face death in the face and walk into it you know willingly and so I, I think to me, I appreciated where where Malcolm ends up in the episode in the sense that he says he's ready for it, but he's also, it's almost like he's made a little bit of a turn with the pessimism in the sense that he's also expecting the fact that the crew is going to come through and finding a way to turn this situation around as they have been able to so far in this journey that they've been taking. And I think that's an, a really interesting journey for Malcolm to be on. And I'm going to be interested to see whether or not that comes up in the future because it does feel like a growth moment, not just for Archer and his discussion on kind of having an understanding of where the Vulcans were when they came to us and their feelings towards us. But this has a very interesting ramifications for the character of Malcolm and where he's been uh, and where he is now and and the way in which I think he's maybe slowly not necessarily growing out of his complete pessimism uh, but you know that it's 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 becoming ameliorated a little bit with the way in which this crew seemingly finds a way time and time again to get out of situations that seem mm-hmm insurmountable in certain moments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears to something a little bit lighter here because I wanted to talk to you about the pill-off prosthetics that I mentioned in the little overview. I was thinking about how on Strange New Worlds, which we cover on Saddle Up, we had the episode where they did the injection to Mm -hmm. change how they look so they could go down to the planet. And in The Next Generation and those other shows in DS9, we've seen it as well. There's this sort of very advanced, I guess, plastic surgery that's typically performed to really make our crew members blend into other worlds. This one I thought was quite humorous where they come back up and they're just peeling the stuff off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just peel it off. It's like... Something you would buy as a kid to dress up as your favorite character. What did you think about the the state of uh, Starfleet techniques to blend into mm-hmm. alien cultures here and then how it evolves? And also, I guess if you want to talk about it, the 
mm-hmm. sort of retconning of the technology that we get in Strange New Worlds versus what we got in the later series yeah. on the timeline. I loved it here because it made so much <laughs> sense that yeah. what we're basically doing is the special effects makeup that you see uh, on the show. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. John Billingsley is wearing it every episode. Uh, to Paul has it on her ears. And, we're, and yeah, so we're just yeah. and, and so it's a great wink at the audience. Uh, and yet it makes sense because, you know, if you're going down to a place to which doesn't have the type of scanning technology that's going to be looking deep into who you are uh, when mm-hmm. you uh, enter these types of places, this is not going to be an issue. And I, I think it fits perfectly within line with everything else that we had seen in Star Trek at this point. Um, and it just fits. Yeah, it does. It fits really, really well. And, um, you know, in all honesty, I think that is as fun as it is and Strange New Worlds, what they do, it doesn't fit at all with the rest of what we know from how things work in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, yeah. And so... In fact, you know, I mean, you, you jump forward all the way to Deep Space Nine and Dr. Bashir is still basically doing plastic type surgery on them. Um, so mm-hmm. it is a little bit frustrating uh, that um, that happens. But here, I think this is pitch perfect in kind of pinpointing exactly where we are technologically and enterprise mm-hmm. and what would be available to them, you know, and. I say that because you could have used the idea that Phlox comes from a different culture that is more advanced, um, but there is already the ban on genetic engineering on Earth. So that's not even something that we're going to touch here. So again, I I just think... I don't know if the writers had put a ton of thought into this, right? But when I'm talking about it now, it absolutely seems like they had. Um, because mm-hmm. it does really work. Yeah, yeah, it works perfectly for the setting of this show. I feel like what we got on Strange New Worlds was done partially for an interesting visual effect, but primarily mm-hmm. because the story needed to have a situation where the disguise, per se, wears off mm-hmm. for the plot, right? Otherwise, maybe you wouldn't do that. I find it hard to believe that we would ever reach a point where we try to even do temporary genetic modifications to ourselves like that to blend in. I think that what we see here and then what we see in the next generation and DS9, Voyager, so forth, is probably more the path that we would go down. And so it makes perfect sense that this would be the early days of that where it's a bit less sophisticated. Yeah. I assume that this is used primarily on planets with low humidity because (laughs) you really don't want that stuff starting to peel off when you're at one of those big political rallies. It's very true. (laughs) Yes. Uh, No, you're you're not doing this in like uh, a a Florida type uh, or, you know, Alabama, (laughs) Texas type of summer humidity. No, you don't. You don't want that. So I can just see that two years (laughs) Just sweating, <laughs> coming down, peeling up on the side. You're like scratching your uh, neck and it's like pieces terrible. of it are falling off. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I just think of, um, you know, Rene uh, talking about with Deep Space Nine, how he'd pull off his face and it would just be yeah. this sweaty mess. And so, oh, yeah. God, I, I can would, only imagine. Oh my gosh. Oh, so. man. 
That's it. You know, we're we're dying in the heat here in Japan right now, but and then people here are complaining. You know, it's hitting like thirty eight, forty degrees Celsius, like a hundred degrees Fahrenheit, with humidity of like fifty percent, and it is terrible. But I'm thinking about growing up, and you can associate, mm-hmm. you know, being from Texas. Uh, but growing up in Alabama, it would be a hundred degrees, but it would be ninety nine percent humidity. Yes, and it's not fun. Oh, it's just it's just uh, terrible. So I assume this planet was not like that. Otherwise, this little uh, peel off prosthetic approach might not work. Good, right. good well, for them. So, <laughs> well, let's talk about let's talk about the situation. Actually, how the alien military leaders approach what they're finding out about Archer and Malcolm just a little bit before we get into the resolution of this with T'Pol and Archer. What did you think about their reaction and the idea, going back to what you asked earlier about technology and is warp travel even a theoretical thing for them? Mm-hmm. They they do know that other planets in their system don't support life, I believe, right? So right. they have they have a level of scientific knowledge that is at least on par with twentieth century, middle twentieth century, late twentieth century Earth. The story doesn't delve into how much they really know about planets beyond their solar system and the prospects for intelligent life. When the scientist there says that there's only one answer, they belong to another species, did you take that as him meaning an alien species or thinking that somehow on their own planet there was another species going on? Or Mm -hmm. as they seem to conclude, the enemy has created a modification of their own species to create Mm. these super soldiers. I mean, I I did take it as an alien species because that mm-hmm. really, to me, it was the only thing that made sense in that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing for these these people on this planet to kind of have to come to that conclusion, mm-hmm. uh, and that there is no other. I mean, nothing on their planet has it has evolved like this. So it, it's so different. It has to be from some. Where else, you know, especially when they even talk about the fact that, you know, our blood is iron based and that for them that's poisonous. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think their reactions are, are well done in the sense that there's this disbelief. Um, but then, you know, that becomes muddied with the way in which Archer and Malcolm kind of try to ameliorate their situation by giving a plausible explanation they think is going to be better but it's actually one that's probably more harmful. Uh, and so, um, yeah, the the whole situation with them and, and how they're kind of processing what they're finding out was, was very interesting to me. And I thought actually was spot on, really, uh, in the sense that, two, you have this small military group of people uh, who are probably well-versed in, in all of the different factions on their planet the type right. of species on their planet and all that. So this really made sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also thought, of course, you know, my immediate thought was, of course, it's an alien. You know, they're aliens. But mm-hmm. but then I'm I'm thinking that if I'm those people, 
with that level of technology, I think a first thought would be no one's going to believe us that there are aliens here. And then once mm-hmm. Archer and Malcolm introduce this idea that they are some kind of super soldiers, right? then those people might start thinking, well, you know, they look, they look kind of like us. They look mostly like us. You know, maybe something is going on. And I'm trying to think in the world today, like, would we think that if we saw them as they appear here and if, if imagine they're, we're all humans here and we're not looking at these aliens, you know, would our assumption be that, well, they must be aliens mm-hmm. from another planet when we don't know that life even exists, we, we assume most of us, a lot of us assume, but we don't know. Or would we uh, start going down this like conspiracy theory road towards the fact that, yeah, there's some sort of genetic manipulation going on? Because I think mm-hmm. that with the technology that we have today in terms of being able to modify genes, manipulate genes, uh, it's not implausible that something right. like that could be could yep. be going on. So um and, and I think it's a central point of the episode, like if if the episode took the approach that they come to the realization that these are aliens from space, they don't have anything to do with their own world, well then they deal with it in a very different way. And you don't get the central point of the episode, which is the cultural contamination and the fear that it raises mm-hmm. in one side in what at this point appears to be a cold war headed towards yes. a hot war. Yeah. And then how that fear causes that to spin out of control, which is the point of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think it all re- works really well. And I think one of the things that this episode also gave us an opportunity to explore was the way in which we see the crew getting more and more comfortable with T'Pol in command. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really liked that because the way in which the crew was all working together with T'Pol to solve this mystery and even just her interactions with Hochi were, I think, really well done um, in the sense that you there's there's no animosity in, in them anymore. They work yeah. kind of like a well-oiled machine at this point. And so you really do see her kind of coming into her own with this crew, but also in the ability to be their commanding officer. And to have it really work no differently than when Archer is on the bridge, which is a big change, you know, from the first season for sure. And, you know, you're you're not you're not really seeing Trip uh, you know, question her as much or anything. Again, everybody's just working together well, uh even while Archer is away and uh, she's in command. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, just telling her you have the bridge, like it's nothing anymore, mm-hmm. right? That is just such a yeah. change in yep. tone for the crew. Not not a sudden change. We've been gradually getting to this, and it's not the first time that we've seen it, but it, it just mm-hmm. does represent uh, such a progression 
towards that future where the humans, the Vulcans work together yeah. and there's the Federation and all that. So that's great. The, the last bit to talk about here also involves T'Pol and it's the real impact of the story, which we've been talking about throughout the discussion, but it, it doesn't really hit Archer what has happened until the final moment with T'Pol when Archer says, you know, luckily we got everything back. You know, we could have really done damage there, but uh, we pulled it off. We got everything back. Mm -hmm. And T'Pol just flat out says we did do damage to those people. Mm -hmm. You don't have to leave technology behind to contaminate a culture. And Archer realizes, yeah, we changed the perception of the Alliance. uh, Thanks to the Sulaban ship, they think the Alliance has developed invisible aircraft. And T'Pol says Mm -hmm. they now believe that our enemy is capable of creating genetically enhanced soldiers, which goes back to what you said earlier, that in an effort to find a way to get themselves out of the situation and not to reveal alien life, Archer and Reed make up this story that's probably more damaging than if they had just told the truth. I mean, I, I think I think it's interesting because to me, that conversation with T'Pol at the end was... I think to for for myself, um, I I think that Archer was already there in the sense of realizing that that was the case, but it was talking it through with to Paul mm-hmm. that made it real, in the sense that this really was what happened, and that the danger in doing this is something that is. Something that we're going to see actually play out all the way till you know, like a Star Trek insurrection, right? And that this is this is going to be an age-old thing. Is is how and and this is even now. How do you observe something without affecting it? And I think that's it. the the beauty of it is that it's a human question because our desire to learn and to grow and to have a knowledge of what's around us and what's out there it's it's a good inclination um but the 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 danger that can be inherent in that discovery you know i don't agree with it but uh malcolm in jurassic park says that discovery is a dangerous violent action and what you call progress, I call the rape of the natural world. Uh, and so that that whole idea of like that it really is we have to be able to think seriously about the ramifications of these type of things and our impacts on the world, which in, in, in many ways, I think it's being a good steward of the power and the care we're giving given of, you know, like whether it's our planet or anything like that that's really important and so archer's power here of the way he could influence an entire society through his actions even unbeknowingly or accidentally um it 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 goes to show that they have a lot to think about is in how they do this in the future you know, they got away with it in, in civilization, 
but they're not getting away with it here. Like this civilization was the best outcome you could possibly get. This is the worst outcome you could get, really. And so now I think it weighs much more heavily on Archer as to, you know, we do want to learn about these different species out there like this, but we might have to completely rethink the way that we go about that. And maybe the Vulcans had it right in that we just need to develop better sensors so that we can, yeah, I guess spy on them, you know, in that way, but it's better (laughs) than destroying their society. Right, right. Of course, it could be said that it would be better not to observe alien civilizations like this at all if they're in a state of development where contact with them could have negative repercussions uh, for them. Yeah. But I think that, again, because Star Trek is. In some ways, Uh the, the creepiness of it is that you're just like an intergalactic peeping Tom. Right. It's true. You, yeah. You know, like, and, and I, I think that that's something that maybe Star Trek has never actually discussed. But the ideas of like viewing a society that you're not invited to. Yeah. That's, uh, have we ever actually even discussed that on Star Trek? Like, that seems very strange to me that we've never even maybe had that discussion. I don't think we have, certainly not in that sense. I, I think. The feeling is that because humans are naturally curious, we're always looking to discover new things and to learn more. And because Star Trek is written by humans, we naturally write stories in which we do this, but we do it, we're observing cultures which we Mm -hmm. consider to be less advanced than us, and therefore that makes it okay. It seems to be that type of thing where the the point is that we're trying to advance our own knowledge of the universe yeah. through observation of other cultures that are evolving in a similar way to how we did. And so we're curious, how are they doing it? And not much thought is given to how that observation might actually impact that society. Mm -hmm. This makes me think of, you know, a different approach, and this is a topic for a different discussion, but the whole thing about the simulation hypothesis, which you've probably heard about, it's what the matrix is based on, this idea that we're living in a computer simulation. But one of the reasons for having computer simulations like that is what uh, the scientist Nick Bostrom calls ancestor simulations, and the purpose of those is to observe how a society would develop. And it's a way of maybe observing our own history and how things might have gone if something had been different, but it's all done in a computer simulation. Therefore, technically, we're not impacting anyone, except for the people living in the simulation, that world is real, and so we actually are impacting them. So that could be a, another approach to this and maybe another future discussion. All right. Well, Matthew, what are your final thoughts on this and what's your rating? I think this is a a really interesting episode. And the thing that I liked most about it was the way in which it had built off of other episodes that we had been in. I, I think the really nice thing about this is that we see... Archer really dealing with things that are are very difficult 
um, and that makes sense for him to be dealing with as a captain uh, who is out there for the first time for humanity. And he's the one who's having to figure this stuff out. And to me, uh, I think this episode really builds on all of those promises. And, and I'm sure that I'm sure there's probably people who would complain that this is similar to other episodes, but I feel like, again, one of the things that's been a benefit to us is watching this chronologically as this, uh, uh, you know, and, and really getting to see how they're building the series. And this seems like the perfect time for this episode to happen and for this question to be asked. And so I, I liked this episode a lot. I think it's really strong. I loved the serious nature of it, and they don't really pull any punches. Mm-hmm. And so I got to give this four out of five lost communicators. Excellent. Yeah, I agree with you on all those points, and I love the fact that they took something that was a throwaway idea in the original series from a piece of the action and then addressed it in a serious way here. And I think it shows the maturing of storytelling in Star Trek over the years that we would come back to a point like that and then retell that story from a different, or it's not even retelling a piece of the action, but it's just retelling what would happen if you got involved in another culture in that way, because a piece of the action is about contaminating a culture. The book that was left behind changed the course of the evolution of that culture. And here we're picking up the end moment and then looking at yet another culture. So I, anyway, I like the connection between the two. And I think this is yet another good story in the long string of stories that we're getting that will ultimately lead us to the Prime Directive. So I'm going to give this one eight misplaced internal organs. Nice. All right, everyone. We would love to hear your thoughts on The Communicator. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Perhaps the best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That is our listeners group. If you're already a member, you know how it works. But if not, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field or type the whole name if it doesn't come right up the Babel Conference. And it is a closed group for listeners to extend the conversation beyond the podcast. So if you're joining for the first time, please answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. And once you're in there, you'll see a post on the timeline for this episode, and you can leave your thoughts in the comments on that thread and share those with fellow listeners and Matthew and me. And we look forward to hearing from you there. If you'd like to send us email, you can do that by going to our website, trek.fm slash contact. Use the form you find there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. And in social media, you can find us everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, elsewhere. Our username is trekfm. And if your podcast app allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd love to get that from you as well. Let us know what you think about the show and let others know if they should be listening. So, Matthew, when you're not trying to find new uses for your invisible hand, where can people find you? Well, you know, Chris, I got to call that out. That was uh, like (laughs) Chekhov's invisible hand. And they never really used it in the episode. I was really disappointed. Um, So probably should take it off a half star for that. Okay, well. 
It's great for like <laughs> poker match, something like that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but uh, you could find me. I uh, love where... Trip's facial expression, by the way, <laughs> when Travis says it'd probably be useful. <laughs> Oh, it gives on the him date. that look like yeah, uh, exactly. Poker. Yeah, uh, it's an awkward conversation. Uh, hopefully, it'll end quicker uh, if I just say nothing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> if you want to find me all over social media, you could find me under the name Matt Rushing Zero uh, Two. Of course, I'm here on the network on our whole other side to the network called the 602 Club, uh, where we talk about all of the fandoms we love, not just one. Um, we've got. Uh, Star Wars, Harry Potter, Bond, Lord of the Rings, all of that stuff right there. So check that out. Of course, you could also find me at Literary Treks, talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb, where Chris, you and I talk about Deep Space Nine. We've got Saddle Up, which we mentioned here. We talk about Strange New Worlds, and we got The Artificial Tango, where we're talking about Star Trek Picard Season 2. Very much looking forward to Star Trek Picard Season 3 as the crew of the Enterprise D and E is back, which is super exciting. Uh, And then you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network with two shows. One I did with Threa Kaufman. It's called Outpost. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. I'm also doing Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast, and I do that with John Mills. Uh, But Chris, when you're not trying to find uh, that misplaced communicator you call an iPhone, even though it is not invisible, where can people find you? <laughs> How did you know my iPhone is named communicator? Of course it is. So when I'm not doing that, searching for that, you can find me elsewhere on the network doing all the shows with you, which you mentioned also, Larry Nemechek and I do The Ready Room from time to time, and we have a new episode that just dropped a couple of days ago, and we are looking at the state of Star Trek in 2022. So Larry just came back from San Diego Comic-Con, and we talk about the mood there a little bit before delving into every series, and we talk about all the modern series. We also talk about the fan divide over modern and classic Trek, <laughs> classic meaning Enterprise, and before, which is a little bit scary, and also the pros and cons of the streaming model and so forth. We talk about a lot of things, so check out that new episode of The Ready Room. And also there are other things like Interface, and you can find me in many episodes in the back catalog. So check all of those out. And if you'd like to chat with me, you can find me in social media. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. That is my username everywhere in social media, but Twitter is where I'm most active and I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to help us keep this show and all the shows we mentioned and everything we're doing on the network going, we could definitely use your help. If you'd like to find out how to get involved, just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. You can get involved in various ways and we could definitely use your support. So I hope you'll join us there. And I want to send a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us now. We would not be here without you. Well, Matthew, next time, get set. We're going to be heading towards a black hole as we talk about singularity. Well, Chris, that sounds really exciting, so let's go.
Recording. Recording. Trip Tucker's Invisible Pants. Let's just say that, uh, well, T'Pol was a fan of those. <laughs> just imagine if the Suleban technology made just the underwear invisible, but not what's underneath. Mm. Mm. I don't know how that would work, but um, I think yeah. that those moments in the mess hall would have been very awkward for Mr. Tucker. Uh, it's true. It's true. So, I mean, I guess if you accidentally just like, I mean, if you're just walking around in what you thought was your underwear and then you can't actually see your underwear, that would, yeah. Mm. Yeah. You never know what could happen with yeah, Suleban Just trip going for a late night snack and accidentally running into P- to Paul. Just super awkward. <laughs> All right. Okay, just, here you we could go. just hear truck. You could. You can just hear Trip going, oh, shit. <laughs> I thought I was wearing underwear. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise show.